Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the Movement Made Better podcast. And today's guest, we have Luis DeFridas with us, bodybuilder that I grew up watching back in high school, so back in the mid-80s, uh, late-80s. So, uh, Luis, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the listeners, please. Uh, good afternoon. We're here in California, enjoying the weather and staying healthy, celebrating one more day of, you know, health. I'm happy to be able to contribute something, some of my knowledge, some of my experience, some of my uh, events that I participated in. Uh, it's a lifelong experience of sports. I don't know if you know, Dennis, I was a swimmer before bodybuilding uh, okay. in Brazil. I, I grew up in Brazil, uh, originally born in Brazil, but I've been in this country for more than 40 years. My, my whole life has been dedicated for sport. When I was five years old, I had asthma, and uh, my parents took me to a doctor and asked what would be the best solution for my asthma, and the doctor said swimming would be a great thing because it has a rhythmic uh, breathing style, and it has a lot of moist from the water. So that keeps the lungs, you know, in good shape. And I started swimming when I was five years old, and I put myself through college swimming. Uh -huh. um, I got to go to the 1972 Olympic Games representing Brazil. I swam oh. 100 meters and 200 meters butterfly and the 400 uh, medley relay at the, doing the 100 meters butterfly leg for the, the relay. Um, and that's how my approach to the United States came, because I was there and I received a scholarship to come to the United States and swim for Stanford. Oh, so, um, I didn't even know what Stanford was and, you know, what kind of a privilege that would be. And they said, where are your parents? You know, the, the coach, his name was North Thornton. And uh, he was the coach for Stanford at the time. And he was one of the coaches for the U.S. Olympic team. So because I want to talk to your parents, talk, talk, talk to my parents. That was in August, in September. I'm in Palo Alto, and um, <laughs> and that that's how my journey started here in this country. You know, I went through school. I I did a physical education and business physical education because I wanted to be involved in sports, and then business because my father had a business back home, and I thought I could work for him and make some money to eventually you know invest and build uh, gyms. And back in those days in Brazil, gyms and people that worked out with weights, they weren't seen as popular. They were seen more mm -hmm. of a, a, a low class, like they call people that work on the docks. Because mm -hmm. that's, you know, they carry all those bags, they carry weight, loading and unloading trucks and, and, and containers. So they used to say, oh, you know, let's say the high society in Brazil would look down on you if you had a lot of muscles walking around, you know? Oh. So you, you're like uh, labor work. See how much it changed. Yeah. Um, so I went against all the ideas of what I should do, you know? So all my friends said, are you crazy? What are you going to do? You know, I mean, I was coming back from the United States, swimming for 14 years. So your head is in water. Those days we didn't have earphones for water. We barely had goggles, you know, no foam around the goggles. It was just direct, that plastic, the hard plastic on your eyes. No cap. If you want to be slick in water and go fast, you know, you shave your body and shave your head too. Mm -hmm. Now you have a cap. So after all those years, you know, really deprived from, because all my, my family, they used to go to Europe for vacation with my two sisters. And they used to go to family vacations in general. And I would stay home with the coach swimming because I had, to, you know, summer is mm -hmm. the biggest time for the uh, club swimming. So the sacrifices that you make to be what I, in my, in my days, I, I always thought, you know, if you're going to compete and if you're going to train hard, you might as well try to be the best. Right. Mm -hmm. I, in Brazil, when I came back from the States after swimming, I didn't want to swim anymore. So we, we have three things in Brazil. You can be a volleyball player, a soccer player, or a fighter. 
oh. uh, because they're very, very good in fighting the Brazilian mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu. So I went to do a little bit of the jiu-jitsu. I still involved in jiu-jitsu up to today. I got my black belt, but I, um, that wasn't my thing. I didn't want to, there was no competition at the time. It's only about 20 years that they institute the uh, Federation of uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and they start doing competition. Back then, Jiu-Jitsu was kind of an underground fight where if you had connection with the Gracies, they would invite you to their studio and you would learn everything about fight from weaponry all the way to street fight. So it was interesting. I made a lot of, you know, it's always good to know how to fight. But my thing was I wanted to really be able to develop something on my own and and start to um, work out, you know, so because I was kind of getting out of shape after swimming for all those years. Uh, we had two hours in the morning, like from five in the morning to seven before school. And then after school from five at night to seven at night, just to swim an average of six miles a day, you know, Oof. so um, and and you know, pushing and doing, you know, interval training, interval training the yeah. whole time. So it, it was very tough. But somehow I, I belonged to a big, big club in Brazil called Sporty, Sport Club Pinheiros. In Brazil, we don't have, like in, in high school, in college, we don't have the sport, you know, affiliated to the high school and the college. So mm. if you want to do anything personally, you go to a club that pr- promotes the sport that you want to be involved. I And this club, it was right across the street from where I used to live in a affluent neighborhood. So they had everything. They had track and field. They had soccer, two stadiums. They had all the volleyball stadiums. They had basketball stadiums. They had uh, indoor pool, outdoor pool, and a great gym for the time. And the people that were in the gym, the majority, they were doing Olympic weightlifting because they always like to, especially those big clubs, they want to affiliate all their sports to the uh, Olympic sports. So that's how I started in in bodybuilding. I started doing Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting just to get stronger. I was, I have the same, I'm 5'10", and now I weigh about 240. When I was competing, I was 5'10 and 260. My off-season weight in competition weight was about 243, 5% body fat. Damn. So I went from being a swimmer, same height, because I, I grew up everything that I had to grow up by the age of 14. Mm-hmm. And then I was 5'10", 14, uh, 165. And that was my, my weight for swimming. So I went from 165 to 260, 100 pounds. And when I was a swimmer... I, my body fat was around 14% body fat. And when I was off season at 260, my body fat was about nine or 10, about a hundred pounds of muscle in the same, you know, structure, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. And that, that's one of the things that I capitalize in my idea of teaching everything that I teach. I always teach from a little background of my experience, you know, Mm-hmm. And and showing to people how you can transform your body just with hard work and diet. So those two things, you can achieve anything that you want, basically. I, I am a little bit impulsive when it comes to I'm going to do something, I'm going to do something 100%. And I don't care uh, the side effects, you know, I'll deal with that later. Uh, and we're going to talk about all that. But um, <laughs> but this, this is this is how... The whole thing started. Uh, so in this club, I was doing Olympic weightlifting and powerlifting. So I was getting stronger uh, by the day and learning how to cycle volume of weight training versus recovery, dealing with you know aches and pains. But when you do all the basic exercises, squats, you know front and back squats, you do cleans, you do presses, snatch, bench press, and deadlifts. Basically, you're covering your whole body, you know? The transition to bodybuilding was just now looking to molding a little bit more, creating more definition on your shoulders and biceps and triceps and 
maybe calves, you know, because um, everything else comes together with uh, diet. So that was how I got to bodybuilding. I was about 21 when I started, but I had so much background in exercise in general, because in swimming, we did a lot of calisthenic. We did a lot of isometric exercises, very similar to the exercise that you do with the stick. Mm-hmm. A lot of exercises like that, not with the stick, but with the rubber band, towels. And there was always a knowledge that, you know, isometric, you can get just as strong as you can get, you know, mm-hmm. with resistance weight. And I made the transition from the age of 21. When I was 23, I had one. I mean, the city championship and then uh, of Sao Paulo. I come from Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo is the biggest city in Brazil. However, Rio, it's it's more of a like a California, Los Angeles kind of a, you know, feeling. So Mm -hmm. people are more relaxed, laid back, and they have, you know, you you wear more brief clothes because of the weather. The weather is a lot warmer there. Sao Paulo is a lot colder. And Sao Paulo is a little more formal there's all the uh businesses are in brazil all the multinationals all the banks so there's more of that kind of people too so you you don't get to show off as much as you get in rio because you step out of your house you're on the beach Mm -hmm. there's no beach it's a high up and um so the only place that i had and 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 again i was going through bodybuilding being complete a complete a rebel you know mm. i was going against the grain completely and so but i made my appearances in all the shows very small shows bodybuilding wasn't very popular and but i, I won the city of sao paulo championship the state of sao paulo championship and then i won the mr brazil which was a pretty big deal and then they sent me to the Mr. South America, which was in Lima, Peru. And I won the Mr. South America. And that's when I said, okay, maybe I have some something going here for me. And so I'm going to make some connections with the United States. Because everything that I learned, there wasn't much to learn in Brazil. And I was already at the peak in Brazil. So I had to come back here to the United States. And I, I could, you know, speak English and read all the Muscle fitness magazines, and I was learning everything through that, how to be ahead of the, the game. And then I made some connections with people that I knew here, and I got an interview with uh, Joe Weeder, who was my sponsor, come to the United States. So I came here, and uh, I had an initial five-year contract under his wings and to you know do all the appearances that I needed to do one was uh, asked from him to do all the reports for the magazines and they they got me in a role of you know this is a upcoming talent from south america from brazil brazil was beginning to be a name internationally you know from soccer all the way to all the sports that brazil was actually uh, showing up in, in international events. And I remember the first article that they did on Muscle Fitness was the Golden Boy from Sao Paulo. And there was a spread of about six pages. And Joe Williams was right there with me, which was a big deal. You know, he usually he would delegate all his people to his assistants that would do all this part of magazines, interviews and photo shoots and uh, and then endorsements and all that but i did everything with him which was very rare i grew up on the ladder pretty quickly i came back to the united states in 84 because i i finished school in 78 so i came back in 84 and in um, 87 uh, i won mr universe mm-hmm. so three years down the line i did all the shows here in the U.S. Open shows, and I won everything. So finally, I go to the Mr. Universe, and uh, I was representing Brazil because I'm, I'm still a Brazilian citizen. Back then, they didn't have dual citizenship. So because of my kids in Brazil and my family, I didn't want to lose my citizenship. So 
after spending about three years, day and night, working at Gold's Gym Venice, um, three days of three three times a day, morning with a big cup of coffee, black, get on the treadmill, put a weight vest, and walk the treadmill on the incline for one hour, and then go eat, rest a little bit, come back and do your first weight session. So you got one body part in the morning and one cardio. And then again, go eat, go get some sun, rest a little bit, come back another body part in the afternoon. And then again, go eat, rest, come back and do your cardio at night, another hour at night. Oh, I mean, wow. it, it was, it was, you, you really have to enjoy to be able to do that because there was no going out for dinner. There was no, because all the food that you eat, you have to prepare yourself. Mm-hmm. It has to be without sugar, without salt, you know, without uh, the, the fats are very controlled. You know, you got olive oil, you got pure uh, butter and coconut oil, and, and that's about all you do. But you have to measure all your food and you have to put in Tupperware. I, I always make fun of my wife when she's starting to put tup- things in Tupperware. I said, I don't eat anything from Tupperware ever in my life. <laughs> Because, I mean, Tupperware and, and the, we used to say bodybuilders, you know, uh, with the can of tuna. Mm-hmm. So one day, one day we're going to get Joe Weider. We're going to chop him up. We're going to put inside of a can of tuna. <laughs> because it was stacks of, you know, especially when you travel. You have to travel with all your food supply because you don't know where you're going to go. If you're going to be able to get the food that you need. There was no food that you could eat in the places that you travel, you always rely on your can of tuna. Mm. You eat a can of tuna, you eat some vegetables, you eat some fruit, and you're good. You know, you mm. got your protein, you got your... Basically, and I did that diet for... Uh, I, I retired in bodybuilding in 91. So from 84 to 91, competing professionally, I was on a diet the whole year. Mm-hmm. It, we had maybe twice a year, 15 days break between the competitions and all your professional appearances that you had to make because, you know, that's how you make your money in bodybuilding. Shows, they don't pay that much money, but where you really make your money is going to all the sports expos, you know, mm-hmm. the fairs um, around the world, and you sell your 8x10 mm-hmm. autographed and T-shirts. Uh, sweatshirts, and that's how you make your money. You sit in the booth of someone, uh, some equipment or some product that you're endorsing. You're getting paid there too. And then usually you get invited to do a seminar or you get invited to do some guest appearances in, in shows or in gyms, you know. So you have to be in reasonable shape because it always boils down to having to take your clothes off and pose. And you can't be, you know, out of shape and eating junk because your your body. It was amazing uh, after a competition. So you your your body is like uh, with. I I usually I measure five percent body fat during competition, <laughs> but three days later you ate I ate a little bit. Of, I love cheesecake, so my cheesecake was after <laughs> after the the prize. You know, it was. Like, <laughs> A big cheating and my price too. So cheesecake, what do you have in cheesecake? You have tons of carbohydrates, <laughs> sugar, salt, right? And mm-hmm. fat. So you have no idea how the body responds because the body's been so clean and the water retention that you get. In mm-hmm. three days, you can get 10 pounds, 10 pounds mm-hmm. of water retention. So you go from 240 to 250, 260 in, 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 a, in a matter of week, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, you look good in terms of size. I mean, you blow up. Your, your muscles are all really filled up with water. They're not so depleted like in competition. because that, And that's the, the trick of the diet. It's like how to peak without depleting your muscles so much that they look like a prune, you know, so shriveled up because you took everything out of it. Mm-hmm. So the, the process of going to that place and then, Take carbon up for about 
a week to 10 days to two weeks at the most to fill up the muscles without losing the onion skin look. So that, that's the science of, of bodybuilding. That's the people that can get that figured out and have the, the discipline to do what it needs to be done to get there. Those are the, the winners. Those are the guys that can win shows. Well, I think what's interesting is I, I don't think the average person understands the level of commitment the professional bodybuilders have. I mean, it's extremely high. And I tell people all the time, I, I don't think most people ever will ever achieve that level of commitment in anything that they do. Yeah, that, that's correct. Now, let's move forward a little bit from the days of competition. We can talk more about that, but uh, we can talk about my experiences competing, you know, mm-hmm. places that I've been and people that I met, all that. But now moving forward, I always had in, in mind that what I really wanted to do, I always wanted to be a teacher. I always wanted to teach. But I want to teach from personal development. I don't want to teach from just regurgitating what I learned from a book or learned from somebody else telling me what to do. And how can I? make someone feel with authority what it is that's necessary to take you as far as you want to go if I have never been there, right? Mm -hmm. So, and when I tell someone that this is what you need to do, it's because I know I've been there, I've done it, and Mm -hmm. it's possible, and you can do it, but this is what's going to take. More or less, some people, they have better composition in general. They have better metabolism, better... Genetics, genes, genes. You know, you can't beat genes. People with good genes, and I had a lot of my colleagues that they would develop their bodies much faster than I developed. You know, and you could see. And everybody attribute to, oh, what are you doing? What is your cycle? What is your, you know, diet? What is yes, all that. But we did the same, and in three months, he had much better shape than I had, you know, for, for me, it would take maybe four five or six months to be there. So yes, there's a lot of the genetics factor that goes along with that. But nevertheless, if the effort is not behind it, it's not going to happen. You know, when I'm teaching, I say that consistence and perseverance and discipline, those are the formula to get there. And now it depends on you how much you want to put into those in terms of intensity to get there faster or later or, you know, take your time. We're going to get there. But that's what it takes. I've been with Troll for 25 years at the yard. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's all I do. I work there from 5 in the morning to 8 at night. I see about 8 people a day. I used to see 10 before. I'm getting older and my energy level it's, it's going down. So I'm trying to pay more with quality than quantity. So the prices go up. People that stay with me are the ones that really, the value of what I have to, to give. And, and I still have my income. It's, it's great to make money uh, doing what you love. Mm-hmm. But I am not a business person. And I do this because I really love to do it. I'm there all these hours and people say, how every time that I come to the gym, you always hear, do you ever go home? You know? And I, I just love to do what I do. I love to meet with people, to get to know people and see uh, what, what their aspirations are and try to contribute as much as possible to help them to get, achieve their goals. I really care, you know, it's something that, and I, I don't know where I got that, but that's just me. But I really care and I, I, I'm involved in most of those people. I, I have clients that for 25 years since day one that I start training. And I see them two days, three days a week. So that's, that's a pretty good commitment, you know, just there to be stick with people and they stick with me. And we, we have a family, you know, I have more than 50 clients today, some once a week, some twice a week, some three times a week. And, but they all important. They all have their value. They all doing something that they want to do at the level that they want. My wife, she's a, a doctor in psychology. She, she has a PhD in psychology. And uh, we've been together for, we've been married for 27 years. When I met her, 
we got married the first year that we met. But when I met her, she was in, in graduate school. She was going to UCLA. And I was her subject. So everything that she learned in school, she would come to me. Let's talk about that. You know, what, what is what is that issue that you have that <laughs> and, then, and then and then she would finish her <laughs> yeah, right. She molded you. <laughs> she would finish all her assignments, all her papers, and then I she would read the papers to me to, to ask me what I thought about it. And I basically had an education in psychology, you know, going mm-hmm. through school with her all the three years that she did, including reading and being part of her you have thesis. Yeah, the thesis. The, the thesis. The yes, thesis. yes. Well, she had two theses, but one was in what she does, substance abuse mm-hmm. and, and, you know, addiction. And another one is in theology, which is very interesting subjects of psychology, you know. I became an expert. You know, and she works today basically with drug abuse, alcohol abuse, you know, uh, addiction in general. And that gives me a lot of knowledge how to understand my clients Mm -hmm. because we all have uh, tendencies from depression all the way to abuse of substance. Uh, And food is one of the things I am. I don't have, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't have any vice, thank God, but I do have vice in food. I'm a foodie. So, for, and, and the moment, the moment that I was out of competition and they said, <laughs> okay, now you're, now you're on your own, you know, I go, okay, <laughs> now I'm going to eat for all those almost 10 years that I was you know, out, of, uh, out of containers of Tupperware. And I always have to watch out because, you know, I go to my uh, physical every six months and the doctor says, hey, listen, you know, you now I just turned 65 in December and I'm, I'm part of the Medicare club now. I got my Medicare card. <laughs> <laughs> so my doctor says, hey, listen, you know, uh, you're in good shape, you're healthy, cholesterol is good, blood pressure is good, sugar level is good, kidney works liver works but you can't forget that every day you know it's slowing down it's not you know what you used to because every day was speeding up right mm-hmm. before now every day is slowing down it's up to you to slow down the curve you know to make sure that staying on top of your diet and on top of your exercise and your sleep and you maintain your body healthy and i think that's what i try to cultivate in my clientele because i am probably the oldest person in the gym i try to say that we don't see that slowing down factor we don't see that when you on your peak you know and i say a a man can peak all the way up to 40 easily Mm -hmm. you see tom brady and all these athletes you know getting to be in top shape at 40 tom brady is 41 42 now Mm -hmm. So, yes, if you maintain yourself injury-free and, and with all these precautions, you know, and proper nutrition and supplementation and all this stuff, yeah, you can get there. But inevitably, if you don't think about longevity uh, and you think you, the way I thought, you're invincible up until you're 40 years old, you're going to pay some heavy prices, you know, for your health in my case it's my joints you know i had two knee replaced i had one hip replaced and i have to have two shoulders replaced but this is at least we have solutions you know we we can do replacement but when it comes to your kidney your liver i mean Mm -hmm. for you to get the liver transplant your kidney transplant that's pretty uh, rare you know, mm-hmm. to, to be successful, to even get a liver from a donor and then success on the transplant itself. So it's not that easy as putting new joints. <laughs> so I always tell people that's what we have to really focus on is your longevity. You know, we're doing this and the way my philosophy, my work works is that we're going to stay on a journey. You don't come in to work out for three months, learn something and leave. I have mm-hmm. cases that, that happen, but 
most people after three months, they say, okay, I had such a great results and I feel so good about myself. I don't want to lose the momentum, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know that if you're not here waiting for me at, at my appointment, I'm not going to show up. There's going to be too many excuses. The fact that they pay a, 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 a very reasonable amount of money per session to be there, they value the money that they're paying. They value me that mm -hmm. I'm going to be there helping them to get through what they have to get through. Right. I mean, you got to get your workout done no matter yeah. what. That's how I did it. But I did it just from my own drive. Mm -hmm. I had that drive and I don't know where it came from, but I always had that drive. So today that drive is being applied to uh, helping people that wanted to be helped. I wouldn't change my career for any other career. I have a frustration that I'm going to show right here to you guys. I, in, in, when I went back to Brazil after I, I finished school here, I worked for my dad. I made some money. I invested in two gyms with some relatives of my cousins. And those two gyms became four. And that's what actually really gave me the subsidy to come here and start a career here and meet, you know, Joe Weider and get my sponsorship mm -hmm. here and everything. But in order to make that transition, to be able to support my family, that unfortunately my ex-wife didn't want to come to the United States. She was very attached to her family, Italian family. My kids were very young. I couldn't bring them by myself. So I had to leave them in Brazil and, and support them and then come here and support myself. The money was never the obstacle because somehow I was always involved in making money and, you know, uh, from the money that I made working for my dad and and creating the, the gyms that they were already doing well. By the way, in Brazil, private gyms, like we have like the yard mm -hmm. and not even corporate, you know, gyms. Corporate gyms came much later. But a small home gyms, you know, neighborhood gyms, there wasn't any in Brazil when I first opened my gym. So it was also a very innovative way of looking into start to develop fitness in brazil and uh today if you go have you ever been you guys have you ever been to brazil i've been to sao paulo and i've been to rio de janeiro yeah okay rio is you, absolutely gorgeous you notice in rio how it, it, it's like an epidemics of fitness everybody mm -hmm. running on that mm -hmm. beach strand there yeah and then if you go in into the one or two streets in inland Almost every other corner you see a studio, mm -hmm. you know, and their passion, especially the girls, in developing those legs. Have you noticed how mm -hmm. fit they are? <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's unbelievable. Don't tell my wife I was looking, though. <laughs> and it's an obsession. <laughs> it's an obsession there, you know. And I, let me brag here a little bit because I feel proud of that. Two years ago on Easter, I was inducted in the Hall of Fame in Brazil. Uh, I became a Hall of Fame of uh, fitness and bodybuilding. Oh. And it was in Arnold's uh, expo. Arnold has an expo there every year. And uh, he was there and he was the one that gave me the trophy and the plaque, you know. So it, it was a recognition of what I created because you, you should see that that fair that they have is Arnold's. Yeah, um, the Arnold Classic, yeah. Arnold's um, Expo, mm -hmm. and they do the Arnold's Classic there too. Mm -hmm. They have a bodybuilding show, they have a fitness show, they have martial arts, they have. But I'm talking about, I'm not exaggerating, the size of the LA Convention Center mm -hmm. or, or bigger. That's mm -hmm. their convention center. And it's attached to three hotels. There was people from all over the world in this, in this convention. There was uh, the, the strongest man competition mm -hmm. there. You know, the guys that mm -hmm. lift those big concrete balls and, you mm -hmm. know, and they do squats with those barrels full of water. I mean, they, they had those guys there. They had bodybuilding show. They had powerlifting show. They had martial arts show and all the fitness shows. 
it was it was unbelievable. I was so, you know, I'm I'm not a small guy, especially in Brazil. You know, in Brazil, mm -hmm. usually men is a little smaller than here. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I was impressed in how many big guys, but big guys, you know, muscular, were walking around that the expo. So definitely, the culture has changed, and now we're talking about from '84 when I left Brazil to now. So how many years is that? Almost 40 years. Almost 40, yeah. Almost 40 years. About 40 years, yeah. <clears throat> so it, it's it's like amazing, amazing. And I, I, I was there in, uh, four days in the show. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I was sitting in the booth of one of their manufacturers of health food store, mm -hmm. of, of, of all the, the health food, you know, powders and mm -hmm. protein powders and all the supplements and all the stuff, huge in Brazil. So they had a, a booth that was like almost like a block, the size of it. And they had a, a stage and they had shows going on and they had um, their entire display of all their products and they were giving samples to everybody. So I was right in the middle of this whole thing in, in a podium signing autographs and, and shaking hands and taking pictures with they had about 200,000 people that went through the, mm -hmm. the whole expo. I would say 10% of those people, I shook hands and I took pictures with. I mean, it was unbelievable, the, the reception that they had for a person like me that had been so detached. Because after I quit bodybuilding, I really didn't follow bodybuilding. And mm -hmm. I haven't been really close to the bodybuilders or to the community. And even here... You know, that's where I did my whole activity. But in Brazil, I used to go just once a year to visit my family, and they knew I was going to be there. And I would go do an appearance at some gym, and they would do a, like a seminar, and they would sell tickets at the door to go and meet me and, you know, be around me for, you know, a couple of hours talking about bodybuilding uh, and training. And they all want to know you know, tips of how to get big. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I go, I wish I had the, the magic pill, you know? You guys want a prescription. There's no prescription. The prescription is, you know, hard work, you know? And it, it's not going to change. Uh, mm -hmm. Arnold said, no pain, no gain. You know, I'm saying hard work, you know, discipline and, and, and perseverance. Uh, and, 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 and that's it. We can't really find the magic wand here to make people big and strong it has to be out of your own you know willpower i i have people that come to me and says let's write a book about all your experiences everything that you know you have learned and, and let's put in a book and i think it, there's a lot of curiosity and a market for it and when i'm with people and i'm training them i i think about what can i be saying you know on a book because Everything that I do is based on a, on a person, on a on that private hour that I'm spending. It's always evolving into something different every time. Mm -hmm. That I, I say, how can I put all this in one formula? You know, mm -hmm. it, there's not there's not a formula to get here unless you are doing the the, the steps. You walk in the walk, and we are walking the walk. And I feel like. Every day that I show up in a gym and I, I put my gym mask on and I become what I become in a gym to teach these people and have the patience to listen and be available for telling them. I mean, I, I train people at the yard that they, they are CEOs of huge companies making tons of money and they are the boss and they are used to be the boss. And I'm telling them, what to do mm -hmm. but it, it, like with conviction you know and say hey listen let's let's stop talking let's do this thing here we got to finish the the program this is what i have you know in mind for you today oh but i'm tired no no we're gonna get over we're gonna do this i'm so uh, bossy sometimes you know and i say why am i this way and they're listening to me it's because i have something good to offer you know mm -hmm. Otherwise, and it's day in, day out. Otherwise, they wouldn't even come back, mm -hmm. right? Why are they keep coming back? It's because they're getting something 
they're getting something from my personal experience. They're getting some of their personal experience. They are growing with the process. Mm-hmm. They are feeling empowered mm-hmm. uh, because when you're strong physically, you're strong in your mind too. Because in order to change your physically, you have to change your mind, and they they are achieving. Because I don't do anything that they don't want to do. They have to establish the goals. You know, okay, we sit down, my first appointment, we do a consultation, and they have to write down their goals, what they want, what it, that they are looking to learn. And my proposition here is that I'm going to teach them how to train themselves by themselves. So they're going to learn everything that they have to learn in terms of weightlifting getting shape, diet. But after nine months, after six months, if they want to continue with me, it's up to them. But after six months, they are able to continue to do the whole fitness program without having anyone to be there for them, to teach them anything because they will know everything. And that's what I am offering, you know, uh, in my program. So, but it, it seems like, Every time that I start with someone new, there's always one more to my repertoire of, of clients. You know, they, they, they don't go away. They stay. And <laughs> that's where I now have to create something when people talk about a book or I need to figure out how I can make myself available for more people without actually having to be there. Mm-hmm. And that's I have to learn technology. I have to learn what I am very ignorant about. That's why I told you I didn't even know how to do a Zoom call where now, you know, if you don't do a Zoom call, you can even get educated. You know, you can even go to school and all the financial people are working through Zoom. Everybody, here we are, you know, mm-hmm. uh, creating something of in- informative through Zoom. And so I, I, I really want to slow down a little bit on my everyday business to see if I can create something where I create an app, create, you know, program where I can extrapolate. Now, not eight people a day, but maybe 80 people a day, Mm -hmm. you know, or 800 people a day that can be involved in something that I have to offer that, but I got to put together in some form of technology to distribute Mm -hmm. that way. Right. Yep. Well, I know you 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 used a lot of isometrics at a younger age uh, in your swimming training. Did you carry any of that over into your bodybuilding training? Well, you know, the time that we made the most progress and achieved the most results in our physique was we we usually do an approach for competition four months, so sixteen weeks, and then we start posing. So there's a fourth session. It's uh, cardio and weightlifting and then posing, you know, when we start training for competition. And it's one hour in a posing room with slant mirrors so you can see your back, mm. you know, mirrors to the side, mirrors in front and back. And there's a choreographer there, music. you got to put five minutes of choreography, which is your final pose down. And then there was you have your compensatory poses which is you you judge three by three in front of the lineup where the judges are watching everybody doing the same poses Mm -hmm. two frontal two side shots and two back shots and then you have the symmetry poses too Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, all those poses are isometric Mm -hmm. and when you're holding a pose and 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 you have to Engage every single muscle that you can feel and smile at the same time. That's one of the hardest things I've ever done. In that period of four months, because of the posing every night, I used to leave a puddle of sweat in the posing room. You had, we had to put towels to stand on it, otherwise it become so slippery. And we were sore the next day. Mm-hmm. The muscles are getting sore. Your chest and your, your biceps to the point that you can even relate to, you can never get sore that way doing weight training, weightlifting. It's a totally different soreness. It's deep, deep inside of the fiber. And that's isometric because you hold the pose 
for a few seconds and then you relax, you do a transition and then you go and you flex again. And you're doing this for five minutes on a, creating a pose routine to music and then you do it over and over again because not only you have to know how to do the poses and learn the choreography, it has to become second nature because when you first start doing it, the amount of cramps that you have, everything cramps all the way to your toes and, and fingers. And there's part of dehydration because you're sweating so much, but that's how intense the isometric part of the exercise is. And we try to replicate that in like when we finish doing like dips on, mm-hmm. on a bench, like, mm-hmm. okay? Like you did a whole bunch of triceps mm-hmm. and you finish your triceps, you're already completely fatigued. So you do a whole bunch of small pumps and you mm-hmm. hold it like for a minute on the track, uh, on the top, flexing your triceps the most, like really uh, to the point that you're going to fall down if you keep going. We use a lot of that. And that was just, that, that was all instinctual, you know, because we knew when we posed, that's how we felt. And it created a lot of details in the muscle that usually we couldn't get just from exercise. So that's to show you how important isometric is, you know. Uh, we did the same thing with the curls. You get an easy curl bar, you know, the, mm-hmm. and, and you just hold it. Or we did, at the time was 21. It was called 21. It was seven here, mm-hmm. seven low, and seven in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then you hold it when you finish after 21. It's lightweight, but you hold it, you hold it, you hold it to the point that you're going to drop the bar, you know. So we did a lot of that with biceps, triceps, abs. We did a whole bunch of crunches, and then you hold the crunch on the last one and try to hold as long as you could, you know, because that even teaches you how to breathe with, mm-hmm. you know, contraction, muscle contraction. Mm-hmm. And when you contract your abdominal muscles, something happens. Everything comes to a halt in your body. Even the breathing, you want to stop breathing because you want to, that's when you have to learn how to relax everything and keep these muscles contracted. Mm-hmm. And we used to see tremendous results. One thing that everybody does today, but nobody did at the time, but we did it, was plank. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we got so strong in plank, that was to get one of our partners, training partners, to lay down on you. They mm-hmm. would lay down on their back and on your back, and you do a plank like that one minute holding. And, and every single muscle is engaged in your body when you do that. What else did we do? Uh, we did uh, like sumo squats mm, and, and held the sumo squat on a position where the bar was right in between your knee and your ankles. Mm-hmm. And you hold it there. Perfect form. Actually, that's a, a move in jujitsu. A lot of people get hurt on your lower back because they, they arch the lower back. Mm-hmm. Instead of keeping the lower lower back extended, so to keep neutral, so there's no pressure on the lower back. And when you're holding weight, it's very hard to maintain that posture. So we teach that exercise in martial arts. I have two kids. I have a uh, one is going to be forty now in April, and my older one is going to be forty three in May. <clears throat> and they are both black belt, uh, world champion in jujitsu. My younger one won. Here, the Cal State Long Beach, the pyramid there, they have the world championship there every year. He won four times. Oh, and mm. my younger one won two times there and won in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi, they have huge tournaments, no gi. Mm. Um, and he won in Abu Dhabi one time. So uh, they're, they're very uh, well known too in industry of jiu-jitsu. And they all do weights. But not to be like a bodybuilder, super big, mm-hmm. but to be strong in terms of endurance, you know, stamina, stamina, strength. And that's what you get from doing weights and knowing how to use weights in an isometric way too, like doing this exercise that I'm telling you. There's a, one very important move in jiu-jitsu. It's called passing the guard. And, and when, when you're trying to pass the guard, there's a position that you get to the guy that's going to pass the guard is the guy that's standing is on top mm-hmm. and the guy at the bottom is doing the, the guard game, right? So it has the legs wrapped around you and you have to open 
the legs because mm-hmm. usually they have locked open the legs and make sure that you get that's when people they don't know they get an arm bar because they put the arm straight and the guy on the guard gets your arm and then put an arm bar mm-hmm. so and the, but you got to figure out how to put those uh, legs down change their leverage so you can get the leverage and all this is done in a guard position which is a sumo squat that I'm referring to you holding the bar between your knee and your ankle that height mm. that's the same posture that you are trying to break the guard and a black belt fight goes about 10 minutes non-stop 10 minutes non-stop wrestling mm. you know that's a lot and at two black belts it's like it's so intense it's so intense and if you don't have that stamina for your strength you, you you're gonna lose the fight because if the other guy has more than you do he's gonna eventually get you when you get tired what was your typical off day or what was your typical recovery day when you were in the prime um, bodybuilding yeah we did three days on one day off okay three days on one day off on the day off we did foam rollers we did a lot of stretches some people did yoga at the time other people did some form of dancing because it helped you on your posing and it helped you on your flexibility because they do a lot of stretches and they do a lot of isometric too in the dancing classes and it, it makes you familiar with music it makes you more a arrhythmic and and it softens the hardness of the posing mm-hmm. because you don't want to show any kind of stress when you're posing yeah. it has to be it has to be complete as natural as natural can be and is not it that's, mm-hmm. that's the last thing that's going to be as natural but it that all comes with training so we use a lot of that some some people like to do some water activities go in the pool and walk with weights walk with weight vest and walk at the bottom of the pool or try to thread water with some form of weight on your body that that was something that we did a lot in i used to live in this complex in marina del rey called marin's village so they had several pools there and we always pick a pool that didn't have a lot of people because they all thought that we we're weird you know weird weird people doing weird things so we always very tan back then the spray tan wasn't very common but we didn't have a spray tan so you had to really tan naturally so we go to the sun every day on our break and midday break and lay by the pool and then do a lot of water activities and then during that break after one hour of sun you don't want to be there anymore because you're going to get burned so what we did was just we go stretch so we bring our mats put underneath the umbrellas and then do some stretches some foam rolling uh when the body was you know warm from the sun but that was also very instinctive the recovery mm-hmm. uh, the way we did is because we really needed to break down some of the fascia that was tight we needed to prevent injuries and we start feeling you know a lot of the biceps tendon hurting and a lot of the iliac psoas tight and how do you open all those things up how do you you know keep yourself pliable so you can go and put another three days of tremendous amount of stress in your body from weightlifting i always like to stretch because i learned that from swimming and i mm-hmm. i was almost very flexible so i never really lost the flexibility so i would stretch every day after after each work session workout session i stretch for 15 20 minutes were a lot of your peers or a lot of the other competitors doing that or were they not? No, no, no? it wasn't. Uh, today, if you go to uh, Gold's Gym Venice, there's one room that's only for recovery. And there's a huge mat, like a dojo mm-hmm. mat, you know, jujitsu or, or judo mat. Mm-hmm. And that's all you see, tons of people on the mat stretching, stretching with rubber bands and ropes. and. <clears throat> and foam rollers and and now they even have tables with uh the thera gun on top of mm-hmm. the tables you know so they even do that 
you know. But we didn't have at the time any of that. That there was no vibration therapy. There was no power plate. There was no stick mobility. You know, there was nothing. We we used stick like broomstick. You know, mm-hmm. just yeah. to, to do some you know side stretches and you know similar to the stretches that you do, but without any technology on flexibility. You know, of the stretch mm-hmm. of the of the stick. So it was this, and it was too small. You know, we improvised and we did everything that we could do from the ability that we had to learn the body and as we go, you know, or mm-hmm. as was needed. So I, I, there was one point that I was telling you when I went back to Brazil and I went back to school in Brazil. When I opened my gym, I wanted to learn about the body. And I had some knowledge from uh, PT school, PE mm-hmm. school, physical mm-hmm. education, but I, I really want to learn how to treat the body, mm-hmm. uh, not use the biomechanics and physiology and anatomy for exercise, but I want to know for rehabilitation. My dream was to go to medical school. Mm-hmm. And I got into medical school in Brazil. I did medical school for two years, but I never finished because I had a Probably my parents got divorced and I had to go help my mom, which is, I always say, if one day I win the lottery, and I don't have to work anymore. I'm going to go back to medical school and finish medical school because that's my dream. No, I don't care how old I am. Mm. But what I did is with the units that I had in medical school, I finished uh, PT school in Brazil. And, and PT school in Brazil is very wide spectrum of physiology knowledge. Uh, so we even learn chiropractor movements because they don't have chiropractors in Brazil. Okay. Uh, especially at the time, there was no chiropractor, chiropractor school. I know that there's some movements these days to bring chiropractor to Brazil, but either you're MD or you're physical therapy or you're physical education. And, and that's, those are the modalities that you're going to get to get helped from the, the medical point of view. I learned in, PT school in Brazil, where I got to, we, we were hands-on, part of theory, we didn't spend too much time. We had assignments, you, you, you know, you read your books that you need to read to, to learn some of the science, but this is what you're going to have to learn. And we, we went to one of the biggest PT practices in Sao Paulo and in Brazil, which is a, a, a soccer team in Sao Paulo called the Football Sao Paulo Football Club, and they have a building of about three floors, huge building, all uh, one for their team, one for all the other teams that come to utilize them because they don't mix their team with all the other teams or all the other sports. And one, the, the third floor is international. They get people from all over the world there. So I got to practice and to do all my internship in this practice in, in Sao Paulo. So it was tremendous experience. And that's where I learned all the manipulation. I learned ART. I learned neuromuscular reeducation, fascia, myofascia release, all that stuff that they were, they were doing. I, I only came to learn here somewhere down the line in, in my body, bodybuilding career when people are starting to get hurt and you hear Oh, this chiropractor is doing this, this chiropractor is doing that. And I got to meet the guy that actually developed the whole knowledge of the neuromuscular re-education. His mm-hmm. name was Dr. Glum. Um, and uh, he was a chiropractor. And he was the first one to do that really deep, deep work, you know, in all the athletes. And he used all power lifters and bodybuilders and a lot of martial artists. They used to go to him, and I got to work for him for a year, also mm. internshiping for him. So that's where all my experience comes from. It's just basically from applying, you know, everything that it was being utilized mm-hmm. to to fix, you know, people quickly. Because especially on a professional level, uh, you don't have a lot of time to nurse a, a hamstring pull, you know, or tight psoas, or you know. Your calves and your soleus, they're all bound up and 
you got to strip that, open up and clear the injury and back to the field, you know, back working. So that was a, a really good experience to incorporate to my practice. So when you were stretching, were you incorporating a lot of uh, contractions then? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's two forms of stretching that we apply. One is um, relaxed mm-hmm. stretching where, you know, you don't put any stress on your muscle. You try to relax like yoga, breathing mm-hmm. and letting it go, you know, trying to open up the muscle as much as possible. And the, the active stretching mm-hmm. where you basically stretch like you do in like with the stick, mm-hmm. stretching, utilizing movements and contracting and and distracting the muscle so you can get the full length of the muscle, not just neurological stretching where you get a little bit of, you know, the amplitude of the muscle and then the muscle contracts again. When you have a stretch where you do a functional stretch, it's, I, in my opinion, it's much better than a passive stretch. Yeah, I, I think it definitely yields better results. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting to see how many people still do passive stretching. And then when you introduce them to active stretching, their eyes just go bing because yeah. they're like, wow, what is that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. You not only feel the benefit at the time, but you feel the benefit after days and days and days because you actually retain yeah. that that stretch, you know, uh, and the passive stretch, you lose immediately, you know, the next mm-hmm. day you're tight again. If there was something that you could, uh, maybe re go back, if, if you had another chance to do it again, uh, even from a training methodology, is there something else? Is there something different you would do? Or is there a cha- any changes you would have made to your programming? Uh, for sure. The overtraining part. Okay. That's something, like I said, uh, today, I take care of my clients the way I would have taken care of myself. If mm-hmm. I knew what I know today, you know, what not to do, uh, e- even though we we had some knowledge of recovery, but we never did properly. We always like, I'm resting today, but maybe I should do uh, a little more intense cardio and let's do some caps because I didn't do a good cap, you know, workout yesterday. So the 24 hours not training when you're training that intense, it was murder for us to just kind of sit still and, and just take care of the body. When we're injured, was different because then you really pause to recover from the injury and you look for uh, people to help you. You know, this guy, Dr. Gary Glum, he did a lot of work in a lot of bodybuilders and he really had tremendous success in and recovery and we learned a lot uh, from from him in recovery but we never did a proper recovery and that's what i would emphasize more if i had to go back and do it again you would be on my recovery because i guarantee you if i had the proper recovery i wouldn't be where i am in terms of my joints you know mm-hmm. my knees my hips and, and my shoulders uh, a lot of bodybuilders they suffer from knees and shoulders especially and back you know see randy coleman yeah 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 Yeah. ronnie coleman ronnie coleman yep ronnie coleman i mean look how you know did you see that documentary on Mm, yeah did you have a chance to see that documentary no yeah uh, it's unbelievable right where i Mm -hmm. mean the guy got to a point that he can't even walk you know that that's that's really scary and that's one thing that i didn't have the knowledge I never thought, I always thought I was indestructible, you know, that I would never, my injuries, they were all superficial and all I had to do is little muscle stem and, you know, I'm back to business, you know. Today, I really, that's one thing. And, and if you really look at, at all levels of sport and especially the professional level, how much they emphasize on, on recovery, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they spend day a day or two on recovery is mm-hmm. because it's just as important as the strength training mm-hmm. or the the conditioning training you know to, to get strong and to recover because you're going to get much more benefit from your functional training when you are well recovered mm-hmm. than if you always tired so you're always in overtraining always in overtraining i, I guess our 
era was the era to learn the hard way. And, mm. and, and now, you know, with all the new technology and all the studies that shows to us the importance and, and now people are practicing, you know, there's people that they devote the entire career just in, in, in recovery, you know, mm -hmm. just teaching people how to recover properly. Well, thank you for coming on, sir. We really appreciate it, man. And uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for giving us your insight and, and your experiences that you had. Uh, we really enjoyed that. So I think uh, listeners will find a lot of valuable information in that. So thank okay. you as always, my friend. And uh, thank you very much for having me and spending some time with me and listening to my stories. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. And for anybody who's interested, uh, Luis can be found at uh, Yard Strength in Manhattan Beach uh, down in uh, Southern California. So if you're in the area, stop on in and say hello. Uh, especially once this, once we get over this COVID, yeah, we get over it, right? <laughs> yeah. So right now, right now, unfortunately, uh, uh, doors are yeah. shut. You know? Right? <laughs> yeah, that's the only way we can operate. Yeah. So, all right, my friend. Well, we hope to see you soon, and okay. uh, you take care, and we'll talk soon. All right, buddy. Right. And okay. to all the listeners out there, thank you for joining us. And until next episode, be good to each other. <laughs>